Because here's the thing, the more efficient your operations piece is, and even large corporations, they have a hard time with seeing this. But the more efficient you are in your processes, your back end of your store, the more margin you're going to get. Welcome to Freedom Slave Podcast, where fempreneurs, side hustlers, and entrepreneurs come to fast track their success. If you're a millennial girl boss, listen, hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out on any of the goods, because every week you're going to get the tools that you need to slay your business goals to create a life of time and financial freedom. I'm Ganette Jones, your host and Freedom Slayer in charge here. Let's begin. Welcome or welcome back to Freedom Slay Podcast. If you've ever wondered if you're doing this running a business thing properly, then today's episode is for you because I'm interviewing my friend, Larita Webb, who's a pro at all things business efficiency. She has a bachelor's in mechanical and industrial engineering and an MBA specializing in global leadership and supply chain management. She's brilliant. Okay, y'all? She's brilliant. (laughs) And she's an expert in strategic sourcing, supplier management, management, procurement, and contract negotiations. She's known for simplifying the complex, which you're going to be able to hear in this episode. She's known for doing that, for simplifying the things that are super difficult to understand, and also for managing risk and strategically increasing profitability by driving supply chain efficiencies throughout organizations. She's worked with some huge companies like GE, and over her career has worked in so many different industries like healthcare, automotive, technology, oil and gas, like all the things. And she's managed budgets of, get this, over 500 million with consistent project savings and increased margins. So in other words, her brain is one that many people want on their team. And today she's sharing that brilliant brain with us and teaching us the things that we need to be focusing on to ensure that we have systems in place to be operating efficiently and making our money work smarter. If efficient systems and more money in your business sound good to you, then you're in the right place. So let's dive right in. Hey, hey, Larita. Welcome to Freedom Slate Podcast. Hello. So excited to have you on here, girl. Yes, thank you. I'm so excited to be here. (laughs) And I know who you are and why you're so dope, but can you share a little bit about yourself with my audience and give us a little background into who you are and what it is that you do? Yes, sure. So I am Larita, Larita Webb. My background is in supply chain, you know, mechanical and industrial engineering. I have worked in that space for my corporate career for over 15 years, and that has been the bread and butter of my knowledge. I've worked in various industries, you know, oil and gas, the automotive industry, um, healthcare, and always driving and finding ways for companies to improve work efficiently and improve their profit margin. So always look at it a a way a company can drive waste and cost out and increase their profit margins. That's been my main focus and my jam. I also have an extreme passion for health and fitness. So kind of like the same amount of experience I have in this supply chain and driving efficiencies, I also have in the health and fitness space. So I also have been a trainer. I've done competitions. I have a health and fitness business as well and have a couple of products that I also sell in my health and fitness space. So I am both of those things. I am a person that has that supply chain hat on and also has a love for health and fitness. That's how I would describe myself. 
I'm glad you brought that up because if you didn't, I was going to, I'm going to be like, listen, and she's fit. Okay. And not only, but what that means is that you have ridiculous discipline. Okay. So you have, and you need to see her legs, all of you listening. Okay. (laughs) She has the product. You need to go buy her product on Amazon. And anyway, we'll get to that later, but if you did not bring this up, I would have definitely brought it up because I think someone listening in initially may be like, well, what do those two things have in common? But they both right. require discipline and systems and knowing what works for the business or the body, right? So yeah. I think it, I'm glad you brought it up because I was definitely going to ask. <laughs> and you are the queen of business efficiency. So before we dive into all your helpful tips, what would you say are the signs that a business is not operating efficiently? Because I know you're like the operations guru. <laughs> So I would say the signs that I look at when a business isn't operating efficiently efficiently is they are running out of stock. They have bad quality. Um, they, they are not really engaged to know what their customers are buying a lot of, what they're not buying a lot of. They don't have a real ear, a real ear to their customer base. And then when you look at the operation side of it, it basically reflects that. Like I said, things are out of stock. They are not really able to communicate with their customers when inventory will come and replace that inventory, when it will be available. And so they really don't have a handle of, you know, how parts and things are moving within their organization. And then one thing that I do want just to bring up really quick, because I know everybody talks about it's like a buzzword supply chain. I think I want to break it down to everyone just in a very simple, basic way. When people talk about business efficiencies and supply chain, like exactly what is that? And so for everyone listening, that just basically is everything involved in an order getting to your customer. So when you think about whether you have a service-based business or whether you have an actual product, it's that entire process of your customer placing an order and that service order actually being delivered to them. So that involves your manufacturing, your suppliers, your sourcing, logistics, freight forwarders, all that entire process. So it's not just like logistics, but it's every piece, even like your retailer. So it's every piece and person that is involved in that process, that order to delivery process. Mm, I'm so glad you brought up a few things just now. First of all, I want to say you mentioned supply chain being a buzzword. I'm like, yeah, in your community, because (laughs) nobody's throwing that one around me all the time. So that's, but that's because that's your world, right? That's your world. Like, yeah, that's a buzzword. Yeah, sure it is. Okay. So that was the first thing made me chuckle, but you said something that really was interesting and that was running out of stock because a lot of people, and I find especially black business owners, They wear it as a badge of honor. And I say it all the time that running out of stock actually is not that great for your business. While it may give you cool points, because then, of course, it has the FOMO piece where people are like, okay, well, I need to pay attention next time. It does have that psychology piece where they're like, okay, well, it's selling out, so people must want it. I want it too. So it creates that demand. However, what it does is also kill momentum over the long run, right? So I'm glad you brought that up and mentioned that that that's actually a deficiency in the operations of it, not having sufficient stock. And it could also, I get it, could also be a money 
thing too, right? For some people, would you say for some small business owners? Right. Yes. Because inventory is, that's money. If you have slow moving inventory sitting in a warehouse or at your house, that is, that's cash sitting right there. That's the dollars that are not being washed and repeated. So that's absolutely right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now help us out, sis. We need help. <laughs> Where should we as business owners be focusing our time to ensure that we have the right systems in place just to operate efficiently and also just to make sure our money's working smarter for us in the business? You have to look at two different parts. So if you're a startup, it's a little different from being a startup organization and then when you're an organization that is scaling up. And when I say like scaling up, meaning you consistently are doing you know, five, 10,000, 3,000, you're consistently moving so many units on a monthly basis, right? So you have that data of your customer base to be able to look back and forecast and see how they buy when you are starting. You don't have that history. You're trying to guesstimate, you're going by your research of how much in demand this product is and how much you're like, as you mentioned, your capital investment funds, how much money can you afford as a business owner to invest in your initial order that you're placing for your inventory? So I would definitely say it's as you realize, hey, this, I have a product, I have a business that is really, this is viable. This is, we're now in the growth stage. You want to look at an inventory management system. And so what that is, that's something that's going to, a system that is going to be able to talk to your sales. So a lot of people use Shopify, for example. You want a system that's going to be able to look at your sales history or sales data. And based on that, provide a forecast and say, hey, this is what we need in the future. So based on what we saw October of last year and maybe like the last three to six months, even 12 months. Now, this is how much inventory I should keep on hand, not only for this next month, but the next three months, the next six months, et cetera, et cetera. And what that system is also going to do, it allows you to put inputs such as your lead time. And that lead time, I'm getting into some terms here, but that lead time involves how long it takes your supplier, your manufacturer, or even if you are the manufacturer, how long it takes to make that product. So it's taking into consideration all these variables and inputs, your sales, your seasonality, um, any upcoming holidays. It's taking into consideration the lead time, the time it takes to make a product. And based on all of those inputs, the system will then tell you like, okay, based on that, this is how much inventory you should keep on hand to carry you over and meet your sales needs for, like I said, next month, this current month, et cetera, et cetera. The other piece is it also takes in consideration how much inventory you currently have on hand as well. And so I think those are some of the things that when we are trying to calculate it like ourselves, we miss. Right. Because you can't just say like, all right, I'm going to consider what I had, what I sold last month and what I sold the month before and just take that and and, and make sure I order enough stock and, and match the same order numbers from those last two previous months. You know, you have to also consider how much inventory you have currently on hand how your sales would do the next couple months. So these are just the variables and inputs when you have a system that's trying to calculate those things. 
and analyze your sales data, it allows now you as a business owner to take that thought process away and you're able to adequately keep your stock levels the way they need to be. Mm-hmm. And I know that I know you mentioned Shopify just now, and a lot of times Shopify would show like past results, but a lot of the stock things aren't showing you the future forecasts like Lorena's right. talking about now that are so necessary. And is there like a specific one people should be looking for, or is there a bunch of them that can do the job? They just need to find the right one for their business. We'll be back after a quick break. Money is all around us, and we think about it more than almost every other aspect of our lives. But how can we make more of it, and what's our drive for building wealth beyond just the numbers in our bank account? Join us on the Make More podcast as our host Matt Heslin brings to you a dynamic lineup of experts in the world of investing, business, health, and beyond. Together, they unpack the secrets to not just surviving, but thriving in today's economy. It's about more than just wealth. It's about crafting life experiences, seizing opportunities, and building a legacy. Subscribe now to the Make More with Matt Heslin podcast and join us every week for new expert insights and inspiration. That's right. So there's a couple, all these systems talk to each other. Some of them don't talk to each other. And so, yeah, there's various systems out there. Some I find are a little bit more thorough and intense. Some of them, like if your business is is at the point where you have multiple warehouses or your own fulfillment center, you know, some of those systems specialize in a a warehouse, like if a a company had specifically a warehouse. And so it's geared towards you know, handling multiple, multiple, like hundreds and hundreds and thousands of like SKU numbers. Other systems are kind of basic and they don't focus on hundreds of SKU numbers, but it focuses on, you know, maybe one or two retail locations, one or two warehouses. It talks back to your POS system, such as like Shopify. So it's not as dynamic and it can service you when you're maybe like in that middle in between point and you're scaling. So To answer your question, yes, there are various systems out there that are able to integrate with, for example, like a Shopify, but the one that you select and the one that you pick is going to be based on the needs of your company. And that's always like the needs of your corporation, you know, are different from mine. You may need something that's very dynamic. You may have multiple SKU numbers. You may have multiple retail locations. I, on the other hand, maybe only have one or two SKU numbers, one warehouse location. So we both need an inventory system, but maybe mine is a little less dynamic, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And one other question before I move on to another question I have for you is you mentioned how these types of systems are able to just pull on past data from the last year or that time or whatever. So when would you say someone should be looking to get a system like this or should they be using a system like this from the very beginning because it's super difficult to maybe backtrack and put the information in or is it easy to catch up down the road? Okay, so it goes back to the system you do, the inventory management system that you do use. They have them now where they are able to pull previous sales data, say, over a year prior. So if you, as a seller, have been using like Shopify for your business the last five years, they're able to pull all that data. You know, some of them, they will start the inventory analysis from the date 
that the implementation happened between those two systems, but they can pull previous sales history based on how long you've been using like that POS, that seller's platform. Uh, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Right. For example, you know, we're coming up on the holidays. And so, if you know, you have a very seasonal item. It will be able to analyze, you know, seasonality. Some of them, you're able to flex up and flex down your forecast. So if you know, hey, around July, my product always is a summer product. It's something that peaks during the hot times between, you know, June and August. You're able to flex up your forecast. So you can go 10% up, 10% down, 30%, whatever that you're always able to increase that forecast based Mm. on your levels that you know your customer base is you being the business owner. So Mm. what I've seen is like you do have that ability to like kind of override or increase that demand based on your own inputs. But the system, those inventory systems are basically, like I said, they're looking at, they're analyzing your current inventory you have in place, how like your current stock levels, they're looking at, okay, your future forecast, your previous sale history to adjust. The whole idea with efficiency in inventory is you don't want slow moving inventory. You don't want to carry excess, right? Because if it's excess, that's just money sitting there that's not being moved. And I've seen this like with businesses, I'm just such a like a data and a numbers analytical person. When you don't have the data to drive your decisions, you're going by what you feel or what you know. Like, you know, as a business owner, you know your customers. You know, hey, they love red shirts. That's what they love. But you can get really attached to that. And then you can forget, wait a minute, I have like a thousand of those orange shirts there. And it's just sitting there. So you can kind of forget, hey, how do I also kind of redirect my customers to, you know, let me put a sale on these orange shirts. But we're so focused on the red ones, we drive our sales to the red shirts. You know, and we Mm kind of forget, Mm -hmm. oh, no, we have this excess inventory sitting here, which are dollars and money that is not moving. That's profit that we are losing by just sitting there. Mm -hmm. And it sounds to me then it's the perfect combination between having that data as well as using your intuition, but not leaning too heavily on it to the point where you're blinded to the actual stats, right? Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And you and I have chatted a lot about getting the most out of your warehouses and your manufacturer through cost and time savings. So I do want you to share some suggestions with listeners. But what I want to say to those of you who are listening, I know we're talking about manufacturers right now, but if you're a service-based business, instead of saying like, oh, this doesn't apply to me, I want you to start asking yourself, how can this information apply? Maybe it's your email service provider that needs to link with some type of software that, you know, your selling tool, right? Because I know you have like Sandow and it's a whole lot of other ones, but it's always some way that this can apply to you. So I do want you to think about that. So let me repeat the question in case the reader's like, what were you talking about, girl? Let's get back there. So, you you know, can you provide just some suggestions to listeners out there just to get the most out of their warehouses and manufacturer through cost of time and money, just savings? Yeah, so sure. A lot of times we look at how do we drive cost down? We look at just negotiating on what we're paying for something. And one of the things I always like business owners to also look at is kind of that non-value but huge value added 
um, piece is your suppliers being your true partner. And what I mean with that is, hey, if you have inventory that you know you're going to buy from them, you don't want that inventory to sit in your warehouse. You don't want it to sit in your accounting books, you know, right now for this quarter. It's negotiating with your suppliers and manufacturers for them to keep that and their facilities, for example, until you're able to bring it on, until you're able to bring it onto your facility and you're able to sell it. And so that way, that inventory is not at your facility, at your warehouse and not sitting there. And again, not being efficient, it's not moving, but it allows your supplier to still make your order. But now that inventory is sitting at their warehouse. So you're, as a buyer in this situation, you're still able to get something out of your supplier in there being a partner, but it looks at the relationship a little bit different. Also, when we think about payment terms, a lot of times payment terms, we're not negotiating our payment terms. I always say everything can be negotiated. So although maybe you didn't get that price point you wanted, when you're thinking about terms and conditions of your contract, it's looking at your payment terms is also points to negotiate because that also affects your cash on hand. Now, I'm going to kind of sidebar for a second, but when we saw the stock market um, crash and well, not crash, but really take a drop back in March, immediately people were looking at companies that had cash on hand. And so the way those companies kept cash on hand was like their accounts receivable, receivable accounts payable, their inventory. And what that meant was instead of you paying, say, your supplier, your vendors on a net 30 payment terms or even paying them immediately, it's negotiating at the beginning, hey, can I do a net 60 day? Can I do a net 90 day? How can I keep more of my money on hand in my books as the business owner to work for me in a more efficient way? And I still know I have this bill. I still know I have to pay this supplier, but I'm keeping my cash on hand for a longer period of time on my books. So instead of a pay as soon as you order, I'm now can keep my funds on hand for a whole 30 day period or a 60 day period. And in that 30 or 60 day period, maybe that allows you to do something else with those funds where you're able to invest them, wash, repeat, make an additional profit with that money and reinvest in your business instead of, you know, getting rid of your cash flow. Basically, those are some of the items because there's a reason why when you think, you know, big companies, they have these astronomical payment terms like net 120 days. We have to start kind of thinking that way. And they're doing that because they want to keep their money on hand. <laughs> they want their cash on hand. They want to not pay you as long as possible as they can. Mm-hmm. And that's so true. And what about those then who are listening to this and they don't think that they can do that, or maybe they lack the confidence, or maybe they're like, my Alibaba supplier wouldn't do that, or my supplier in the US or Canada or whatever wouldn't do that. Like, what suggestions do you have for someone? Like, how do they approach a manufacturer with confidence to even begin asking? Because maybe the manufacturer told them, I need payment or receipt. Like, soon as I create this product, I'm going to need you to pay me, or even before I create it, I need payment. You know, how do they then fight back or push back is a better word to use. How do they push back on that and say, no, I'd like net 30, you know, how would you go about or advise one of your clients to go about negotiating that? 
Okay. So yes, that is definitely a concern, a valid concern. So what I, I would always leave it open to be revisited later, right? So as from from a manufacturer standpoint, they don't know how big you're going to be. They don't know if this is going to be a true partnership. So they're trying to protect themselves as well. The way I would approach that is I would say, okay, hey, right now, I understand this is a new partnership. I would make sure I would use words like partnership as well, too, so that it's like we're invested in this together. So I would tell them, hey, you know, I know this is a new partnership and this is my first order that I'm placing right now. But I want to make sure that we have the opportunity to revisit and have this negotiation discussion in the future. So right now I can agree to say a, you know, net 10 days or net 30 or payment upon placing this order. But in the future, six months from now, once I have sales are really generated with this product line, I want to make sure we come back and have this conversation again about the payment terms. So I would word it something like that, basically, so that they understand we're going to come back at some point and negotiate this again. And business is all about negotiation. And I know it's a topic that makes so many people nervous, right? But it's business, like it's business. They're not going to take that personally because you negotiate and they get it from the bigger companies. So you doing that is actually more familiar to them than you think. So yeah, I'm glad you explained that. And I do love that point about using the word partner and just, you know, letting them know that you are trying to be here for the long haul and you want to work with them and they need to work with you, especially because you begin to foresee your business as a bigger business, right? You know where it's going to go. They can't see your plans. They don't know that. So right now it's a risk for them to invest so much time and energy, which leads me to our next question, which is what suggestions do you have for those who may be having a tough time getting their manufacturers to maybe give them the attention and they believe their business needs because they're new or, you know, one of their smaller clients in their database. So basically like a small fish in big ocean kind of situation. Mm -hmm. And so one thing I would say is, hey, you can't take it personal. There's definitely a difference between working with just people in manufacturers and business owners that are disrespectful and just don't practice healthy and good business practices. That's one thing. But if you're able to like kind of remove yourself from it and say, hey, are they communicating effectively? Are they staying and sticking to the terms of their contract and agreement and taking it from a very high level, non-emotional state and seeing as the company operating effectively and efficiently and then evaluate that manufacturer? Because you, like I said, you can't take it personal because on the other end, you also want to know and understand their business. So you have to think it's a relationship. So the more you understand a person, the better that relationship is. So with that manufacturer, the more you understand their business model, where they're looking to grow, what industry they spend more time and focus in, I think that will also allow you to understand where you fit and where your product line or your company fits within their organization. One thing that I spend a lot of time on is developing my supplier and manufacturer. And what I mean is that it's beneficial to me, not only as I grow as the company that's working with that manufacturer that's producing my product, but also making sure my supplier is growing too. They're getting better and I do what I can to make them get better at their job. And so manufacturers also have goals, like maybe they want to 
grow more in the healthcare space. And like, maybe I'm actually in the automotive industry. So, and that's something they're trying to phase out of, you know, so it's like, I think it's also part of understanding where they're trying to go in their business, how they're set up. Maybe you're talking to the wrong point of contact. Like if you're talking to maybe a salesperson and really you need to be in front of the a product, you know, more like the engineering type of person that will give you a little bit more time and attention it's finding out, okay, am I talking to the right person within the organization, how their business is set up, how do they service their accounts or their customers as well to understand that. And I would say in the beginning, when you are placing that first order, I was try not to take it as personal. It, now, at the point where you are looking at your sales with a manufacturer and year over year, your sales are increasing, this is where the data comes important too. Year over year, you are consistently increasing with your orders with that supplier. And you're able to say to them, listen, hey, the beginning of this year, I spent $20,000, even if it's $5,000 with you, $1,000 with you. And the end of this fiscal year, I have now spent, hey, $3,000. This my second year of my business, I spent $10,000 with you. The third year, I have now spent you know $25,000 with you, et cetera. The point is, Year over year, I'm growing. I'm spending more money with you. So whether this is 1% of your business or 20% of your business, this is money that you don't have to have. And I've proven to you that I'm a valid customer because my business is growing with you based on the orders I'm placing with you year over year. And the reason why you're mentioning that to them is kind of like a slap in their face of reality of, this is my record. This is the amount of money I'm bringing to your organization. So by the numbers and the facts, I demand and I should have X, Y, Z, whatever you're looking for, whether it's a weekly reoccurring meeting or monthly cadence and communication, whatever that thing is. But presenting them with the data as this is the amount of money I'm spending. These are the quality issues that I'm having. You're not performing your on-time delivery. If you're not, you are not meeting your, say they have a 90%, I don't know, on-time delivery, something like that. You're not meeting your expectations and the rates and things that you as a manufacturer are saying are your standards, et cetera, et cetera. You're like holding them accountable. And when you're able to do that, I think that shifts the conversation as well. It's, but again, it takes some time past that first initial order. And I know that could be like a headache, but that first order after that first piece, it gets better once you're getting that data points, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And as you're saying that, I'm just nodding my head on this side because it does matter who you're speaking to, right? So sometimes you may think that one of the admins may be an easier connect. But what I found with my manufacturer, for instance, is the person who is assigned to me while she's great, I can get a faster response from the CEO because I feel like he may be doing less things, right? Mm -hmm. And I can, right. you know, just as an example, but I thought that was awesome. And you had mentioned supplier and manufacturer and a lot of people may be using the same for both. And I know we had this conversation once 
And I'll just bring it up here because it was so helpful just to hear it because this isn't how I would think because the operations is not my background, right? Mm -hmm. And I know you're a pro at this. So we were talking about it and you're like, oh yeah, well, you know, why don't you say you're going to source this from someone else? And if you source this from someone else, how much can they drop their price? If you source it from them, ship it to them, and then they create it with what you brought in how much can they drop it? And I'm like, oh, I didn't even, something I didn't even think about, right? Because they said they have this package and this is how it comes and this is what they can do. And you're like, yeah, no, wait, ask them just, you know, to figure it out. So you just have a whole lot of knowledge, girl. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) yes. You know, it's funny when I think about just like my experience in this space, it's from working with different levels of products, right? So when you think about a manufacturer, they're the piece of the, the puzzle that is actually taking all these component parts and putting a finished good together. So they may take some plastics, they're going to mold it, they're going to paint it, and they give you a finished part. It looks like a car at the end of the day. But they don't necessarily make that plastic that the car is made out of. And so you have raw material suppliers, you have manufacturers, you have component um, part suppliers. And so when you're looking at how a part is built, a lot of times, and and this is all about like sourcing and fulfillment, when you have a manufacturer that's building something, starting to kind of, the more you understand how their organization is ran and how they truly build a part, that will allow you to know where you have some other opportunities for them. So I think what we were talking about, in this case, this manufacturer, I don't think they were producing the component part to make the finished part. They were getting it for somewhere else. So I was saying, okay, just to keep the conversation going and understanding if it allowed you to create more profit margin, asking them, hey, where are they sourcing that component part from? The actual raw material. Because what you could do, right, is find various raw material suppliers, vet them out yourself, and then have that raw material shipped to your manufacturer. And so that's ways for you to get involved, kind of cut some costs out, maybe get a better price point, help and your man. Yeah. Okay. And it also makes the manufacturer pay attention to you now, right? Because you're now like, oh, okay, this is someone who knows what they're talking about because most of my people I'm giving stuff don't even ask that the smaller companies, right? Maybe they're, right. they're now going to pay you some attention. And on some, this is like a side note, but This wasn't as far as the operations were concerned, but it was, I received a sample at one point a couple months ago now. And I remember looking at it and compared it to the original first sample. And I'm like, something's changed. It can be thinner by a piece of a hair, but I can feel the thinness. And they try to convince Mm -hmm. me that it wasn't. I'm like, I need you to run this through a machine and test it for me. I can promise you it's thinner. And they came back to me maybe a week later. And they were like, you know what? You are absolutely right. We didn't realize when we ran it for this one, something changed to the machine, but no one's ever mentioned that before. And I'm like, okay. And now I noticed since that point, they start paying a bit more attention and they answer emails Mm -hmm. faster because they realize you're a savvy business owner. And it's the same thing with the operations pieces. If you start questioning them about raw materials, they're going to say, let me pay attention because we don't want to lose this business, even if it may be a small piece of business, because it has the potential to grow. And someone who knows their stuff is likely going to make this business grow. So I want this person with me. So I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, it goes back to their quality. Like manufacturers don't want to be dealing with like defective parts and bad quality. And so the more you deep dive and ask what all component parts, I need to like a bill of materials. I want to know what are 
the components that make up my finished part. I want to know the material aspects, like the material specifications of every piece of this part. So there's no variances on any order. I want to be able to make sure like, hey, there's a test report that proves the sample that I'm approving is going to be the same 100 pieces that I get three months from now. And so I'm like the queen of questions. Ooh, people can't stand my questions, but. <laughs> same. In the work Bullets, world, queen work. of bullets, bullets that have bullets. I need all of them answered. <laughs> right, and like, I got to figure out how to turn it off when it doesn't come to business. I'm working on that, but I have to like tell myself like, ready you get two, two and that's it. <laughs> but I. But when it comes to just think about this is your that's the other thing. And we just talked about like this imposter syndrome. So as a business owner, I want you guys to also understand large corporations have the same issue where they don't negotiate. They don't think to deep dive and ask these questions. Um, They're so quick to cut a check and spend money. And I want you guys to realize, no, you are in control in this situation. It's your check that you are issuing to that supplier and manufacturer. So meaning you have the say-so in this, right? You have the negotiating power. You don't have to cut that check to that person. And so you can ask as many questions as you want. You can put requirements and specifications and feel empowered to do that and not rush and push back, regardless if you think, What's going on? Now, if you're like so sourced that nobody else in the world can make this part and they own the intellectual property on it, that's something different. But a lot of times that's not the case when we're dealing with like commodity products. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love it. And I'm so glad that you brought that up for anyone out there who's suffering with maybe all the time or parts of the time imposter syndrome. Larita just confirmed that the big corps, he's worked with the big corps, they deal with it too, whereas they're not questioning things that they should be questioning or negotiating. So you have that power. And even if you have a service-based business, that may mean if you're starting to build your service-based business, you can get better deals as well if you're using someone all the time for certain services, right? So you know a third party you're working with or consulting with. So I do love that you brought all of that up. Okay, so this is also great for the pre-production piece of it and, you know, and production, but what would you say are the things we should be focused on post-production? So, you know, to ensure efficiency with the business moving forward. I think it's the same thing. Even post-production, like the biggest thing is like your inventory systems, your cash flow, making sure you're able to forecast correctly to meet those customer demands and needs. I think those basic parts of your operations stay in place, it becomes as you increase your product lines and you offer more to your customers, it's finding better ways to do it, faster ways to do those things. But I think that foundation remains the same, whether it's like pre-production, post-production. And I think it's going to improve over time. So how you start off right now with your first order it's going to change. Like as your orders increase, you're going to find a better logistics carrier. You'll find a better inventory or fulfillment center. And because your needs change, how you ship, how you get your products to your customer, how often they, you know, not how often they get there, but whether it's drop ship, whether it's you doing the shipping, those things are going to change as you scale and grow your organization as well. And so I think we have to also get okay with understanding it's always going to change and get better. And that's okay. Those 
things are are items we're going to find out as the needs of your business changes. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm, for sure. And there's something you said a couple times. You've mentioned cash flow from the very beginning. And, you know, you've mentioned margins as well. So those out there who may be listening and they heard of cash flow, they know what it means, the cash reserve, what's on hand, and they know margins is, you know, what's left, like the piece that's available, right? However, they want a bit more. What would you say to them who are wondering, like, what should that cash flow look like? Like, how much cash should they be keeping on hand as business owners? Is it like a certain percentage or the margins when they get their stuff from the manufacturer? they may be trying to mark it up 10%, right? Like, what would you say or what do you say to your clients? I know 10% is ridiculous, right? So they usually say 50% or more. What are you saying to your clients that they should be doing as far as that's concerned? Is that something you help them with or is that not in the scope of things you do? When you think about cash flow, you think about operating, investing, and financing. And so where I come in is I'm giving the business owner different inputs around where, how much money they're spending as far as their inventory is concerned and how soon they have to place reorders. When they're looking at, they want to diversify, they want to go into different segmentations or different product lines, how much money we're going to have to invest for that. When we scale, when we, as far as investing from an operation standpoint, I'm talking to them on a standpoint of, hey, do we buy a warehouse? Do you lease a warehouse? Do we work with another fulfillment center. Is it time to outsource to a different fulfillment center? Are you ready to let this piece of your operations go to so that you can now spend time on your business instead of you trying to figure this out, right? Mm-hmm. So more of a macro view for the business as opposed to the small micro things like helping them with like margin and stuff like that. Right. Because here's the thing. The more efficient your operations piece is, and even large corporations, they have a hard time with seeing this. But the more efficient you are in your processes, your back end of your store, the more margin you're going to get. If you don't have stock that is out of stock, if you have shorter lead times, that means, guess what? More product is going to move through your business, which means you're selling more at a faster rate. The better relationship you have with your supplier, if you have better payment terms, if you're moving more product, you're ordering more, you're able to negotiate uh, lower price points. So guess what? That increases your profit margin as well, increases your margin. And so it all drives into your profit at the end of the day. But a lot of times we don't, like I said at the beginning, we don't look at that operational piece Mm -hmm. to understand that. Um, It makes sense too, because like you said, the things you're doing is going to make the margin fatter at the end of the day. For those of you who are listening, because I don't like when I do this, and this is me just using words and just assuming people know what they mean. Let me backtrack a bit. So just so you know what a margin is, it's the difference between your selling price and what your costs are, right? So your your cost of your goods or services sold and all that kind of stuff. So that difference makes up your margin. And it's said to be high anything from like 20% and up. But that, right. when we say the word margin, that's what we're talking about. Because <laughs> right, I know, right. you know, just in case someone's listening and they may be like, I heard of it. Do you mean like the ruler? Like, what do you mean a margin? Okay. <laughs> Right. And saying that's why I was like, okay, with cash flow, let me kind of break that one down too. Also, I think, you know, as we are growing our business, it's hard to understand, hey, it looks like we have less cash flow as we begin to invest. So you may invest in a warehouse, right? You may invest in 
outsourcing your fulfillment. Instead of you doing fulfillment of orders yourself, now you're going to invest in a fulfillment center to take care of that. They see customer orders come in, they're going to fulfill it, they're going to ship it. So that is an investment cost. It's a new cost for you that you did not have before. But that is a sweat equity that you no longer have. A lot of times I'm coaching and talking to business owners as well. I'm finding out initially, what's your top three goals this year? So as we're moving, we're becoming more efficient. I'm like, if you don't get rid of this piece of your operations, or if we don't outsource it, how do you get back to that, you know, number two goal? If you want to partner, you want to get investors, or you want to diversify and go into a completely different market segmentation. That's your jam. That's what you enjoy. That's what you love. You love being connected with the customer. How can we do that if you're sitting here stuffing orders? You know, like I'm, you are holding on to this piece, this process of your business. You hate it. It's not allowing you to be a business owner because you're so involved in the business instead of letting your business work for you. It becomes if you invest here, it allows you to drive that efficiency, get more orders, et cetera, et cetera. And this will end up paying for itself in the long run. And what about that person then who's saying they're listening to you and they're like, well, I'd love to hand over the stuffing or, you know, something like that, or maybe even answering the emails, but they don't feel that they have the cash flow to be able to do that or the money to invest in that. That's definitely valid. Um, I think there's smaller ways to be able to do it. Like, okay, maybe you don't outsource the comp- all of it completely, but can you hire an assistant to help? Can you maybe not give a fulfillment center, say, say if you have you know five product lines, maybe they don't do all of them, but maybe they work with one of your sales channels, or maybe they do a couple of your product lines to fulfill orders and you see how it goes. So you're not giving them everything, but you're trying it out giving them a little piece and you're seeing how that feels, how that goes. So investing, not saying invest all or nothing, but you're starting to push a little bit of it out. Mm -hmm. So your time and attention can be directed to something else. And I think that's how you have to go because how are you going to truly scale and focus on bigger things if you don't start to outsource? We have to start to think about where's my time being wasted? Even ourselves, how am I not being efficient? You know, where am I spending a lot of my time in my business versus where I should be and why? And so when I was working with one business owner now, she's like, I'm doing so much with this inventory and I don't know what is going on. This is not my thing. And this is not where my time should be spent. It can lead to burnout and frustration. You're just not spending the time where you need to be and you're holding on to it. So Yeah, no, all of that makes so much sense. And a lot of it is a mental thing too, right? Because there are some people where they feel like if I don't do it, then it's not going to be done correctly. So it's so much we could dive into on that one. Right. Yeah. And I feel like you're just so wise beyond your years, obviously because of your corporate background, because of your entrepreneurial piece, because you got your own business, but also you're a second generation entrepreneur. So how would you say, (laughs) yeah, how would you say this has helped or hit? you in any way. This is so funny. I, to this day, say my father was always the worst and the hardest boss I've ever had. Oh my goodness. <laughs> that conversation could be a whole other thing. Yeah. So 
definitely come from a line of entrepreneurs in my families on both sides, mom and dad's side. So my dad, entrepreneur, extremely hard worker, definitely has some workaholics on in my family. Aunts are like just yes. So from what I saw, I felt like I saw the difference between an entrepreneur and a business owner. And I say that to say. I saw another business owner give that title where entrepreneur is involved in the the day-to-day activities of their organization, but a business owner, they aren't. They own their business. Their business is able to operate without them being involved in it. And so they're able to like have a life and step away. I felt like I saw my dad. He was definitely an entrepreneur. He was attached to every piece and obsessed over it and like couldn't tell him anything and all those things. <laughs> and I saw the freedom, you know, I saw him have the ability to say, no, that's not what I'm going to do. And that's the end of the day. It was good sometimes. And it was bad sometimes because of that, but he was able to own those decisions and sleep and be well with it. And so I saw that freedom from that aspect of it. I also saw like the sacrifice, like he worked extremely, extremely hard And it was like nonstop. He did not know how to shut it off. So on the other side, I saw like, okay, I do want that thing. I didn't fear being an entrepreneur because of that, but I just saw I want to do it differently. I want to be able to live. I want to be able to turn it off sometime. I want my business to be able to operate and I'm not there. I can vacation. It is okay. That's the piece I would say that I did see. But I definitely saw like he would. He just was like, you're not going to tell me anything. (laughs) So I always thought that was like the funny part of it. But and I saw the the grind, you know, like these days you see the younger generation and in so many ways that people become millionaires and have success, quote unquote success. And it seems overnight. But I would say from what I really saw, I saw like the work. It wasn't overnight. It was a lot of hard work. I also saw how we as Black business owners, you know, getting capital are areas that we struggle in, even though we've had businesses for years and years. Um, Financing, those things that like banking, financing, capital, those, I just didn't see that come as easy for us. And also taking your business and taking it generation over generation, I saw that sometimes there's a gap there of being able to have something, grow it and give it to the next generation and it continues to grow. I saw how a lot of times that first generation, you know, they get attached to it, that thing, and they want you to stay in that particular industry, that thing, and that it's hard for them to understand, hey, that's not what I want to do. So Mm -hmm. Us, uh, like, how do we keep growing financially with not having to start over? But we still are nurturing that entrepreneur spirit. Like, how how do we have like kind of turn that over to the next generation and over to the next one, the next one, even if they don't want to sell hair or be in construction or be in that business that mother, father, grandfather were in. So mm-hmm. being able to pass on that entrepreneurial spirit without pressing on the actual thing. Cause like you said, maybe that's not what they want to take on. Yeah. 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 So, but you've learned a lot from them. So good. That's awesome yeah. stuff. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. 
Yeah. And you know what else too? Like crap happens in business. This much we know for sure. And sometimes it could be stressful. Like you mentioned your father was stressed, you know, especially in the product world. So like when you don't have full control over all the things, because I've noticed the difference between service-based businesses and the product world. And one of the big things that is a difference is that you don't have as much control. You're now depending on suppliers. You're now depending on manufacturers and warehouses, um, warehouses, warehouses, et cetera, right? So what advice do you have for those that are in the trenches right now? Like, what advice do you have where they're just like, can I do this? Like, this is just so much and they're stressed. Like, what advice do you have for them? Oh, man, listen, I'm asking you that. Like, I feel like, um, <laughs> honestly, I feel like the more and more I get in this space, um, I'm understanding that in the more I talk to seasoned entrepreneurs, seasoned folks that have success, I realize that there are a lot of those heels to climb versus those wins. And I think my uncle told me that recently. He's like, you have to be passionate about what you're doing because you're going to experience a lot, a lot of those heels. It's going to be hard. You're going to have a lot more rough, tough days than you will have those moments to celebrate. But it's the passion that will keep you going and drive you. And so for me, I think it's that. And I would also say surrounding yourself with the right energy and the people. The last, I would even say like four or five months for me, especially things I've been experiencing in my personal life have been game changers. Just having the right people around me to uplift me, like pour into what they see, into my spirit and that having that community um, of other entrepreneurs, of other strong women or men around you so you can normalize what you're going through. I think the more we're surrounded with like-minded folks that are in that trench together, and it doesn't matter like if you're a startup and they are at a $10 million organization, what I realize is we still have that same imposter syndrome that shows up. We still have that same level of like stress and frustration and like lack of sleep and like I just want this to be done. This thing moved this way. Like we still have that same frustration. It's just at a different level. And so there's value in coming together and just having those moments and of support and being around people that really do support you, whether that's friends and family, but also other business owners that are going through that with you in their organization. It just normalizes what you're going through and makes it okay. That's the piece I would say that that has been different for me because I realized this is always going to be there at some point. There's peaks and valleys and hills. I think that's what it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I agree with both of those things. They're so important. I couldn't have said it better myself. And that was having that passion, that drive. And there are so many entrepreneurs out there, those that teach entrepreneurs. So they're like coaches and, you know, business gurus, the men that run the streets, on the Instagrams, right? Right, right That tell right. you that, oh, you don't have to like what you do. You just need to find something that people want. Or you don't have to have passion. And that's good and dandy. And you may make money on it. But those days when it gets tough, you're not going to want to push through because you don't have that passion behind it, right? right? So it's important that you do have that passion, that drive, that purpose with what it is that you're going for. So I do like that. And also the surrounding yourself. I mean, I say that all the time. I can't drive that home 
anymore. It's so important. And not even just the people, but the people you don't even know, but that you're following, the pages you're following on social media, the things you're consuming and reading. Yes. Maybe you think that watching E! News and hearing about a celebrity breakup is stress-free, you know, and it's easy for you and, you know, because you can't relate, but you're really taking on a lot of that other drama and the gossip and stuff. So it's just making sure that you're aligned with what it is that you want. So truly appreciate both of those things, having that passion and drive and also making sure you're surrounded by the right people. So important, so important, so important. Yeah. Like our self-care, you know, a lot of times we give, Mm -hmm. I know for myself, I can become a workaholic easily. I just get attached to what I'm trying to do, I think it's that analytic, like engineering me of, I see where something should be. And it's like, I feel like it shouldn't take this long. It shouldn't take me this long to fix this website. Even though this is not my thing. I'm like, why is it taking me hours to do? I get frustrated with myself. It's taking that long. And so I'm like attached to the computer until I fix it hours later. And it's like giving ourselves that grace to walk away, take a moment and self-care understanding when every day we got to like have a moment of that meditation, going outside, um, exercising, taking care of ourselves, nurturing our spirit as because we're giving so much to our business, to our friends, our family, even considering the environment we're in with COVID, the selections, all of those things are draining on our energy. So I think also as business owners, you really, really have to make sure you're taking care of yourself. Like putting, and it's not big moments of self-care. I have a friend that is really, really good about this. Like those daily moments of self-care and it just helps you to reset and keep going. That's definitely important. I totally agree with everything you said. And it's something I incorporate so often that I almost forget to even mention it because it's a part of my day, right? I wake up so much earlier than everyone else in my household, but those moments to myself are the ones that I really appreciate in the morning because they set the tone for the entire day and they make things less stressful too. So I truly, 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 yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. I truly appreciate it. And we've talked about all the great things we need to be doing, surrounding ourselves with the right people, making sure that we're incorporating that self-care and all that. But what are the red flags you would say business owners should be aware of when it comes to more so selecting who they work with? Like, do you have a specific question that you recommend they ask or questions that they should be asking suppliers or manufacturers or even just their parties they're working with? Yeah. A couple of things. You really want to understand their defective rates. Like how many defects do they have? Their percentage of defects they have by so many millions of parts they run a day or, you know, a week in their operation. And they could, you know, lie and things like that. But you want to ask them, hey, what is your defect rate? Your percentage of defects that you have within your organization. You want to find that out. And depending on the industry that you're dealing with, you're dealing in typically like, Uh, consumer-based goods, they want to have, they do so many millions of pieces, somewhere between that 2.5 and 4%, like I think it's less than 2.5% for products that are for major defects. And I think it's less than 4% for uh, minor defects. Mm. And so that's a huge piece of asking, hey, what is their defects like? What are their, you know, the defective rate? When you have the product, 
you know, have them walk, walking you through, hey, how is this product made in your manufacturing facility? If you can't, I think it's always great if you can go tour that facility. So you understand how clean the facility is. How are they like operating? How are they tracking your order? It helps if you're able to like go and do a tour of the facility. Sometimes if we're working with international suppliers, you can't necessarily do that. But asking hey, walk me through the steps of how this part is made because that allows you then to identify where quality issues could come in. Also, understanding how they perform their quality checks. And when I say how, meaning at what points in their operation do they perform their quality check, right? Because your whole purpose is trying to prevent defects from arriving to you because then it's like too late. So Mm -hmm. it's finding out, where in the points of operation, when the part is getting built and made, are they performing quality, you know, checks to make sure, hey, the stitching is right or the sizing is right or this color is correct, something like that. And then I'm sure they should have some other type of inspection taking place at the packaging and shipping point. So I think it's like spending that time with the supplier to walk you through how the part is made. And like I said, whether it's giving you a visual, you touring the facility. I know for me, once I see it, once I literally, I'm going step by step, I'm able to see where we can end up getting, where an error could could possibly take place. And then you want to understand too, how long that company has been in business, like the livelihood, the uh, cash flow of that organization as well, and how big they are. So if to your point earlier, if you feel like you are only less than 1% of their orders, that can make a difference. Like you want to understand as well how large this manufacturer is, how long have they been in business. They may give you some of their other customers. They may not, depending on how proprietary it is. But what happens is that will also allow you to understand who within their organization you should be talking to. You know, sometimes with smaller companies, it's easier to talk to the CEO. Sometimes the operations person can also be the CFO. That helps you to understand how they're really set up. Overseas, you know, understanding, is this a distributor or am I talking with the actual manufacturer? Is this just a third party that's basically negotiating on behalf of the actual manufacturer or am I dealing directly with the manufacturer? And so those type of questions will help you understand this business. But I think those are really like there because you want to have good cost. You want to have good quality. You want to have on-time delivery. Mm-hmm. And I think those really asking, deep diving those questions, asking a lot, a lot of questions about, you know, their process, how long they've been in business, um, their certification, some of the, the you know, ISO 9001, it's like that's one big Uh, certification internationally. So asking how are they certified, their defect rates, um, their cap, like not the cash flow of the business, but how big, basically how large that organization is. So you can understand from a revenue standpoint, how large that manufacturer is. Mm -hmm. That's all so good. So the red flags at that point would be them saying things like, you know, my defect rate is 20%. Then you're like, hold up, maybe you're not the one for me. And I mean, I said that I'm not an operations 
I don't know the operations piece. I don't have a whole lot of operations knowledge, but I have more than I originally thought listening to you because yeah. I just classify it as being super inquisitive, but I wanted to know everything. Give me a defect rate. I know that it's way less than 1%. Like they're amazing. Like my manufacturer I'm working with and they've mm-hmm. never had they're FDA registered and they've never had an issue in decades. Right. So it's like, like they're amazing. So I do, you know, I asked the questions, the tour was the first question I asked, like, I want to show up. Can I pull up? You know, like Rihanna, tell your friends to pull up. We're all coming. And they should, they definitely should allow that. that. So they did tell me, but they did say, I have to let them know in advance at least 24 hours because they have proprietary proprietary things that they have to pack away for other people. But then That's COVID normal. happened, right? Yeah. yeah, so COVID happened. And then even recently, I'm like, okay, you're running my cops. Please send me a video. And they did say, I can send you pictures in my offices, but we cannot film because we have our own proprietary machinery and stuff like right. that. But you I can definitely say, come yep. in. So, you know, it's I ask all the questions anyway. And I've always been told I have a good friend, Lamont. And when I was younger, when we were younger, one thing he always used to say is, it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. You know, like, oh, yes. you know, so like, what's the worst they can say at the end of the day? No, just, just do it. You know, like sometimes I just tell them things and I'm like, what's the worst they can do? Like the worst they can do is tell me that they can't do it. Like, you know, so I just say, exactly. give me this give me this and then if they say they can't then that's fine but I'm not asking exactly. permission just send it so no I love that and the tracking and asked them about the certification because they were the 9001 and now they're ISO oh goodness let me find the number they're 13485 certified mm-hmm. 13485 certified and like they have all the qualifications so I've searched for all of those things so that sounds and that's good. the thing too like would you have in a there's different regulations right and different percentage of defects like it was like FDA US manufacturers like I was kind of surprised but like normally like the US usually they you want like a less than one percent defect rate for sure uh, parts per million but what I'm learning too when you're dealing with like say not consumers um dealing with more commodity items like hair products not shampoos and conditioners but like a brush comb like those type of consumer goods or fabrics, those manufacturers, and if they're international, the defect rates and how they calculate it is is slightly different. But the way you still pull your sample size, the way you still uh, figure out like your percentage of defect rate on that sample size is it's still the same. They they still mm-hmm. have like tight you know regulations, but. Yeah, I think yeah, so. and I like that you mentioned the quality checks too, because that's so important for it all. Like, let me know what I want to know every piece of the business, and it also helps you realize if you're a good fit with that manufacturer. Because if your questions are too probing to them, and they get uncomfortable, and they're like, "Yeah, you know, you're asking too many questions," then they may not be the right fit for you. Like, I wanted to know not just when you're doing the checks, but which checks are you doing and how long do they last? That Like, give me all the information. So yeah. that's, yeah, all of those are helpful. And you mentioned something just now, which I thought was really great too. And that was possibly figuring out what other companies they're working with. And you're right. There are ways to figure it out through different people with different things, but they should not be loose-lipped about it. Because to me, if they're loose-lipped about what they're doing for anybody else and what they do, how they do it or anything like that, then to me, that means they can do the same thing about your business. They will tell your business and what you're creating and how you created it to the world. So that would be a red flag for me when I first asked. And I asked the question, because again, I just want to put it out there. So I said, so tell me like, 
what brands are you working with? Who have you worked with? And they did say initially, like, yeah, we don't normally share that. We can't share that without permission, all that kind of stuff. But then as you go through different processes with different individuals, they will bring up certain things, right? right. So right. yeah, exactly. like they will say, oh, well, this company, you know, whatever. Or And I've even asked the question, I'm like, well, hey, do you, does this person get this? Once you find that out, you can start using that for your leverage. Like, does this person get this treatment for this? Like, you know, right. so- You said like different yeah. people within the organization- Oh yeah. You know, you learn, Mm -hmm. you learn who you can ask about different things. (laughs) Exactly. And it is about like back to the relationship. Once you have a partnership, a relationship with them, they get comfortable, you get comfortable. Like you guys have built something. So it's different. It's a familiarity between the two of you. Mm -hmm. So it definitely, definitely makes a difference there. Um, For sure. So many gems in this episode. So those of that are listening and there are so many things to unpack. We've talked about, you know, the cash flow. you've talked about forecasting, you've talked about like just the operation supply chain, you know, all the things that you've talked about so far, what for those listening is the thing that you wish them to take away. If it's only one thing that they could take away from this episode. Uh, One thing to take away, I would say, look at your operations as a point of driving your profit margins. That is an opportunity for you to decrease costs, but also increase your profit margin. And so meaning your operations piece of your business is also an opportunity for you to make more money. At the end of the day, as you're looking at growing your business, it doesn't always have to be about adding another product. It doesn't always have to be offering a sale. It can be looking internal and seeing how can I operate better from a standpoint of working with your manufacturers and suppliers. So I would say always look internal with your suppliers, your manufacturers, and as a way to make more money. Mm -hmm. That's so, 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 so important because even having worked at a bank in my, you know, previous life prior to entrepreneurship, full-time entrepreneurship, I know for certain, like the operations department, while they are the driving force, my husband's actually a manager in operations department, the driving force of the company they're often just seen as a cost center, right? Because Mm -hmm. for instance, with a bank, you have business banking, you have trust, you have investments, and you have all these other departments that generate all these fees for them, for their business generating money, whereas the operations is just trying to obviously, you know, cut errors and omissions, you know, ensure that it's more efficient, making sure that the wire payments come through smoothly. Like they figure out all the back end pieces that actually make the business run. But oftentimes the big companies overlook operations as a cost saving department and see it as a cost center. So it's important for small business owners to see the flip side of that and how operations is actually saving so much money for the business and why you need to focus on it. So I'm glad you even brought it up and mentioned it that way you did. Yeah, yeah. And where can people find out more about you, learn about you and your offerings? You've told us about your two different sides, how you do this piece of things, the operations part and, you know, cost efficiency and all of that. And then the fitness side. So where can they find you? Yeah. So my website for my fitness website is 3lfit.com. You can reach me on social media at 3lfitness and also Larita underscore W. Um, also Larita at 3lfit.com. So send me an email, drop me a note, reach out to me on any social platform. 
Um, if you're looking for just consulting, you know, initial assessments on your operations of your business, trying to work efficiently, hey, hit me up. Let's talk through it. Let's see where some opportunities are. I am definitely would love to help out and be a resource for you guys. Thank you so much for hopping on, girl. And there's one question I love to ask, and I'm sure you already know it because you listen to this podcast <laughs> at the end of every single one. And that is, what does freedom mean to you? Freedom means to me the ability to live how I want without limitation. So travel how I want. Uh, think mentally, you know, spiritually, emotionally, financially, how I want to without limitations. So I would say that is what freedom is to me. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Rita. Thank you. This is amazing. This is amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. So I hope you enjoyed this episode with Larita. If you did, do us a favor and take a screenshot and tag us over on Instagram. I'm at Gaynete, which is G-A-Y-N-E-T-E. And Larita is at Larita, which is L-A-R-I-T-T-A underscore W. She's also at 3L Fitness. I'm going to share the links to her social media handles as well as her websites below in the show notes. We'll chat next time. Okay, okay, I see you, Freedom Slayer. You stayed through to the end, which tells me that you likely enjoyed this episode. Listen, if you haven't already, do your sister a favor by heading on over to the iTunes store to leave a review for the podcast. It'll help others like you find a benefit from it. And look, it also helps with the rankings. Hashtag transparent AF. I appreciate you.